You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Okay, kids are on their way. Here we are. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. And to those who are watching on live stream, we want to welcome you and thank you for being a part of worshiping with us this morning as well. Gospel of Mark chapter 1, that's page 682 in the Pew Bible. If you want to use that one, if you brought your own, you're on your own as far as where that is. But if you have a, a phone or a tablet, you can follow the instructions for the Uversion Bible app that are on the screen. Take you right to our scripture this morning. I think most of you are there. So let us hear from the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 starting in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think we can all agree here today that Jesus is without a doubt one of the most influential figures of history. Would you agree? I think, that, I think we can say that. I mean, I, if you think about it, even those who don't believe that he is the son of God, even those who do not profess Jesus as the savior of the world, know who Jesus is. I mean, if you really think about it, few individuals have been as widely quoted as Jesus. He gets credit for saying all sorts of things. Lots of stuff gets attributed to Jesus, right? Political views, theological doctrine, catchy slogans. The problem, (laughs) the problem is Jesus tends to be often misquoted. And it isn't so much, I really want you to get this, it isn't so much that the sayings of Jesus are quoted incorrectly. The issue is one of associating thoughts, opinions, phrases, even words, with Jesus that are actually nowhere to be found in the Bible. There's this tendency, and it's been there for a long time, to put our own ideas, what we want Jesus to say, into the mouth of Christ. So today, we begin a new sermon series called, Jesus Never Said That. (laughs) Jesus Never Said That. Over the next few weeks, we're going to identify some famous, famous things we believe Jesus said that are actually false. And what we're going to learn, I want to warn you, is going to be surprising for some of us. Uh, we may be shocked to realize, truly shocked to realize, how much of what we believe about Jesus is based on misquotes and half-understandings. And, and from the outset, I want to be clear, the goal of this series is twofold, okay? First, we want to recognize teachings incorrectly attributed to Jesus that distort our understanding of what it means to follow him. But second, as a corrective, for every statement presented as not belonging to Christ, we're going to dig into the scriptures together and clarify what Jesus actually did say. Okay, with that introduction, we're going to begin this morning with the following statement attached to Jesus, but that Jesus never said. Jesus never said, here is how you can get to heaven. Jesus never said that. Here is how you can get to heaven. 
Way back in my days up in the Pacific Northwest when I was serving um, in the state of Washington, I was at one of the innumerable numbers of coffee houses that are in Seattle. And I think I was actually preparing for a sermon or a teaching that I was going to do. I was by myself. I had my books, my computer, the whole thing. And all of a sudden, someone came up to me, and I remember that they put on right in front of me a gospel track right in front of me. And I'll never forget this because this gospel track was different in its heading. On the front of, the, uh, from the front of it, it read, How to Get to Heaven from Seattle. <laughs> and that kind of piqued my interest. Wow, I didn't know there was a direct route from Seattle to heaven. And I, I, I'm doing this from memory, but I'm pretty sure these were the opening lines on this gospel tract. It said, more important than living in Seattle is where you will live forever. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and he gave these directions on how to get there. And the tract went on to outline the specific steps one needed to take to ensure that he or she could get from Seattle to heaven. Step one, confess you are a sinner. Step two, ask Jesus for forgiveness. Step three, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior by calling on him in prayer. And step four, the best, rejoice in being assured that one day you will be with Jesus in heaven. That's it. According to this track, the gospel, and many others like them, this is not unique. According to this track, the gospel is mainly about going to heaven when you die. But is this the gospel? Did Jesus really say that? I'm here, and here are the four easy steps so you can get from where you are to heaven. Did Jesus really outline four easy steps? Did Jesus really talk about going to heaven when we die? If you read through the gospels, if we actually read through the gospels, Interesting thing is, you'll notice Jesus rarely talked about what would happen after we die. True story. Rarely talks about what would happen after we die. You read through the Gospels and you find the majority of Jesus' teachings are focused on how we're supposed to live. Now, I want to be clear in case I'm starting to freak some of you out. Jesus talked about heaven. No question. Jesus talked about heaven. The thing is, he just never pointed to heaven as a geograph geographical place we could find on some cosmic map if only we had the right spiritual latitude and longitude. Jesus never described heaven as a place marked by floating figures with halos sitting on clouds or traversing along streets paved with gold. In fact, the word heaven wasn't even Jesus' preferred designation for talking about our salvation. Heaven wasn't Jesus' preferred term for talking about our salvation. If you listen carefully, what Jesus actually said, what Jesus actually spoke about repeatedly, was what he called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God occurs 122 times in the gospel stories. 122 times. In Mark, you heard it. The first words out of Jesus' mouth are, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, meaning the good news, the gospel, is about the kingdom of God. In Matthew's version of the story, it echoes this theme as he writes, Jesus began his ministry by going through Galilee, throughout Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And moving forward, if you're familiar with Matthew's gospel, the continued phrase that he uses for Jesus' teaching is the kingdom of heaven. But the idea remains the same. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, these are interchangeable terms in the gospels. 
that this, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, was Jesus' central message, that it's his central message. What he wants us to focus on, what he focuses on more than anything else, is clarified in Luke's gospel, Luke's account, as he quotes Jesus at the start of his work, insisting, Jesus saying, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for it is for this reason that I was sent. Now, this language of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it actually goes all the way back, right? It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, to God's calling of Abraham and the establishment of the people of Israel. The children of Abraham, first century Jews when Jesus arrives on the scene, but all through their generations, the children of Abraham understood the world they lived in was broken. A universe dominated by violence, suffering, injustice, sickness, and death was not the way it was supposed to be. They believed that one day God would act to defeat evil once and for all, just as he did in the days of the Exodus from Egypt, and that God would redeem and renew humanity along with the rest of creation. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it is in line with this understanding. And here's the thing, again, Jesus never pictures this kingdom of God as containing fluffy clouds upon which people can float. No, the kingdom of God that Jesus details for us is a place not recognized by clouds, but a place recognized by justice. Where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Where the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, meaning they'll become equals. Nowhere in talking about Heaven, that is the kingdom of God, does Jesus speak of halos or streets of gold? No, instead through countless stories, parables, Jesus unveils image after image of a state of mercy, an atmosphere of love. The kingdom of God is where lost sheep are pursued and found. The kingdom of God is where prodigals can come home. And their return is lavishly celebrated. The kingdom of God is where those who perceive themselves as unforgivable are forgiven. Now, in saying all this, many people still interpret all this talk Jesus gives about the kingdom of God as meaning heaven is a place where a saved person goes when they die. But the way Jesus portrayed it, what he actually said, access to heaven, to this kingdom of God, was not by building the perfect ladder or discovering a secret stairway. Heaven for Jesus was never somewhere out yonder, someplace way up there, a place we go to later. Heaven for Jesus was, as the Go-Go's once sang, a place on earth. You all catch up on that? I'm not going to sing it for you. Oh... Heaven is a place on earth. There you go. <laughs> That's all you're going to remember from this sermon. Okay. <laughs> Heaven, the way Jesus tells it, is a place on earth. Heaven is where God resides and is in control. Think of that. And, and again, if, I'm, if you're still sitting with me in this, think about Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6. And if you don't remember that prayer, let me give it to you the way we call it today. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Think about the Lord's Prayer. The way Jesus teaches us to pray, right, indicates for him heaven is God's dwelling place, right? But heaven is a state of being where God's will is already always carried out. 
Heaven is where God's will is already carried out. So when he tells us as his followers to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's telling us to long for the earth to be transformed into a place where God's will is always carried out, where God's designs and purposes for humanity and all life would become very solid, tangible, a visible reality for us. Putting this another way, breaking it down even more simple than that, the good news Jesus continued to share was not God's four-point escape plan to get to heaven. It was, the good news that Jesus continually shared was the announcement that God's long-promised restoration project to set the world straight and bless all the families of the earth through Abraham's children was at last coming true. Jesus never said, here's how you get to heaven. Because Jesus taught heaven isn't some ethereal future hope. Heaven, the kingdom of God, is a present, ever-present reality that through him has come down to us, has begun to dawn on us now. Pay attention. Listen carefully to what Jesus said. Jesus never said he was working to get us into heaven. He never said, I'm here, everything I'm doing, everything I'm saying, everything. It's I'm doing it so I can get you your steps into heaven. No. What Jesus did say over and over and over again was his coming to us, all of his work for us was bringing the life of heaven, the will of God, the kingdom to earth. Jesus presented himself as the one through whom the kingdom of God, the life of heaven, comes to this world. And this totally shifts now when you read the Gospels. It shifts how you understand what happens, right? This means all of a sudden that all of Jesus' healings and exorcisms, all of his confrontations with evil, his extending of forgiveness, right? All of Jesus' miracles are all instances of God's presence and will. They're all instances of the life of heaven, the kingdom of God breaking into our reality and flooding this world. The cross and the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection of Christ are the culmination. They're the definitive stake in the ground through which God both declares, he is our creator. This is his creation. We are his children. And therefore, in the face of evil, sin, and death, he has begun to take us to bring all of it back. Do you see? Are you starting to understand? Are you beginning to catch the vision that Jesus gives us, the story as it's told to us? The great end toward human history is moving is not some distant, airy heaven far removed from this broken and suffering world, a world from which we must escape in order to get to God. The gospel is not a plan of personal salvation. The gospel is not about going to heaven. Understand, there is personal healing in Christ. Please, absolutely true. There is individual forgiveness too. But both, personal healing, individual forgiveness, both are corollaries to God's much broader endgame. His cosmos embracing promise Evacuation is not the goal, people. Leaving earth and going to heaven is not how the Bible, the story ends. Do you know that, right? You've read this story. You've read this book, right? What Peter and Paul envision, what Isaiah and John see, is the restoration of the universe. 
the complete healing of this world. Nothing less than the redemption, reconciliation, and recreation of all life around Jesus Christ. That's the picture the Bible closes with. You turn to Revelation chapter 21, the last chapter of the story, and John gives us this captivating vision of what's in store for us and the world. And that picture is not us going off to heaven. It's heaven, the full presence, the perfect will of God coming to us through the return of Christ. What was once a great divorce becomes the redemption and renewal of an everlasting marriage as the breach between humanity and God, the divide between the way things are supposed to be and the way things are is erased forever by Jesus. And if I've got you with me, if you're, you're tracking, you know, the thought that comes into your mind, if all of a sudden this is shifting how we even understand what happens next, what heaven is, you probably are thinking, because there are people in your life, well, what about the dearly departed? Where are they, we might wonder? And that's a really good question, and it probably begs for a whole separate conversation, but I want to address it for you. We, have to, we might ask ourselves in this reorientation of what Jesus actually said, we may go, well, what happens to those who've died before the masterpiece painted at the end of the story is complete? And here's the answer. If heaven is to be in the presence of the Lord, completely within the perfect will of God, then this is where those who have died reside. Be at peace. Those who have gone before us rest safe and secure in God's love as they wait along with us for the kingdom of God that began with Christ's first coming to come full circle with Jesus' return. The Bible describes how the souls of the deceased will be materially restored and yet physically transformed at Jesus' second coming. And again, this probably begs a lot more conversation between us, which I'm happy to have if you want to grab coffee. But here's the point, okay, in asking that question. Here's the key point. This state of being that the Bible talks about for those who have gone before us, this reality is not there or our final destination. Our salvation is not going to heaven. Our salvation, as Paul writes, is being raised to life in God's everlasting kingdom. Being raised to life in God's everlasting kingdom. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and saying, why does this matter? Why does this matter? I mean, again, tracks are tracks and, you know, four easy steps. But how many people, you know, look at all the people who've come to Christ through that. Well, you know, so what? My friends, this matters. Because as followers of Jesus, there is nothing more urgent for us than getting the message, the gospel, the good news of the, kingdom of, the go- of the kingdom of God right. We can't just reduce salvation into four easy steps for going to heaven because it's wrong. It's not the gospel. It's not what Jesus taught us. The Great Commission is not go therefore and baptize all nations, teaching everyone the four easy steps for going to heaven. It's not what Jesus taught us. For us to hear and re- or read and then repeat and hand down things Jesus never said is to misrepresent Christ. To put words in Jesus' mouth is to make God in our own image rather than being shaped and transformed by the real person of Christ. 
Now, again, part of why we do this is we want to make the gospel user-friendly, right? We want to make it accessible. We want to get people across the salvation line. And hey, if it works, what's the problem? My friends, making the gospel smaller, even if it makes the message easier for others to swallow, distorts the truth about Jesus, about who he is and why he came. And go further than that. If who we really are and are meant to become is found in Christ, if why we're here and where all this is going is revealed through Jesus, then a shrunken gospel distorts not only who Jesus is, but our sense of identity. It reduces the scope of our destiny too. When our hope in Christ is reduced to what happens after we die, we're left with no vision for the time we've been given today. If it's all about just leaving earth to go to heaven, going home to Jesus later, then of course, then are you not surprised that we won't look for or expect to encounter Christ at work in the here and now? If it all, if all it comes down to, if all Jesus was about, if all he talked about was individuals going to heaven, then we're left with no imagination or sense of urgency for the Spirit's transformation of the world of which we are a part. We as the church instead will position ourselves as nothing more than a hiding place, a place to have your soul saved, but not a community with any reason to engage and serve our neighborhoods. A gospel limited to nothing more than having a better life later, someday in eternity, has little to offer those who are struggling with the everyday life that is right in front of them. I remember, it was a couple years ago now, through our Good News ministry, I had a conversation with a homeless person one, one day, and he was actually sharing a conversation that he had had uh, with another, when he encountered another Christian. And in that encounter that this gentleman had, with another Christian he, Christian, he was sharing that the conversation just kept cycling back to the same thing, that the person was very, very fixated on continuing to engage a repeated question with him. And the repeated question this Christian wanted to ask and talk about was, do you know where you are going if you die? Do you know where you're going if you die? And this brother, this homeless man, shared with me that finally in the midst of this conversation, just kind of circling around the same thing, he finally just said to this this other guy, this Christian, he said, look, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not sure where and how I'm going to make it to find a place to sleep tonight, let alone get off living on the street. Can you help me get there first? Can you help me get there first? And I lament to tell you in the sharing of this story that the Christian in that conversation then offered a closing prayer, handed him a generic track, and moved on. Guys, why does it matter? This shrunken presentation of the gospel has been and continues to be both harmful and hurtful to others. And I don't think it has been as successful as we think it is. How many people, how many people, ask yourself, how many people have turned their backs on the church and more tragically, more tragically, a relationship with Jesus himself because the gospel of Jesus Christ has been turned into a Christian cliche. How many Christians are out there? What's the number? How many Christians are out there who profess to believe in Jesus but aren't in any serious way following him, 
living their lives through his life, death, and resurrection. Could the reason be for the disconnect, this disconnect, could the reason be for the disconnect between the profession of faith and the lack of following Jesus, could it be due to our continued spread of a message attributed to Christ that is blatantly untrue? Maybe that's why so few of us, so many of us are reluctant to share our faith in Christ. Maybe that's why we're so reluctant to talk about Jesus with other people, because our gospel's too small. Because we never really paid attention to what Jesus actually said. My friends, instead of continuing to spread a gospel that gets us ready to die, why don't we share the good news Jesus gave us, a gospel that gets us ready to live? If we were more consumed, if we were less consumed, forgive me, if we were less consumed with where we will go when we die and more consumed with how we live here and now, how would that change us? How would that change us? How could that change how we engage and love our neighbor? How might that re-energize our Christian imagination in our service for the world? We talked about why it matters, but what does this look like? What, is it, what does it look like, this whole reorientation, to, you know, actually listening to what Jesus said, what does this look like? Jesus tells us what it looks like. Jesus shows us what it looks like. Paul and Peter go on to talk about what it looks like. Beloved, and what they present to us, what Jesus says is the Christian life is an event of God's new creation. Hear that. The Christian life, your life in Christ, is an event of God's new creation. Your life in Christ emerges out of the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit through Pentecost. Another way of understanding this is the risen Jesus is the source of God's new creation and the Holy Spirit is the power and authority that brings the kingdom of God to birth through us, the Christian community, the body of Christ, right? The life Jesus offers us, do you get this? The life Jesus offers us is his life, human life in perfect communion with God. What Jesus calls a lot in John's gospel, eternal life. Here's the thing though, when we hear eternal life, we go right back to, oh, eternal life is when we get to go to heaven. Eternal life is going to heaven. It's not what Jesus said. Eternal life for Jesus, the way he tells it, eternal life for Jesus is nothing less, but also far more than simply living forever. Meaning, eternal life is not just about the quantity of our life. Eternal life for Jesus is about the quality of our life. It's life reunited with God, our creator, through Christ. It's more, better life, the abundant life for which we were created. It's a new kind of existence marked by lasting peace, true freedom, perfect justice, absolute wholeness, and everlasting love. This fuller life than we could ever have imagined will continue through our renewed bodies in a restored creation into eternity. Yes, indeed. But for Jesus, this eternal life, his life in us begins healing us, inspiring us, maturing and transforming us now. It lasts forever, but it begins now. This Reality, this understanding, comprehending this is what blew Paul's mind. It's this understanding that suddenly caused Paul to write in his letter to the Corinthians. Do you remember what he wrote? 
Paul all of a sudden got it when he wrote, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become, not is becoming, not will become, everything has become new. The gospel is not about going to heaven, escaping the sufferings of this world. The good news is God is going to use us to be a part of his restoration project. The Lord is putting the world back to rights the way it's supposed to be. And part of that involves Christ putting us individually back together so that through us, Jesus can reach, heal, and transform all human hearts and relationships. Every neighborhood, city, and nation. And eventually, can you imagine it? Can you picture it? Every square inch of creation. The gospel of God is God redeeming this world rather than abandoning it. And that means that all the work we do now, hear this, all the work you do now, whether you think it's significant or insignificant, whether you think it's not enough or too much, whatever you, however you evaluate it, all the work we do now, everything we do on this earth that flows out of the power of the Spirit and in union with the love, grace, and truth of Christ, all of it, contributes to God's restoration project and will be preserved for eternity. All of it counts and lasts for the sake of the kingdom. None of it is wasted or lost. Hear that this morning. Wherever you are in the midst of wherever you are trying, you are seeking to live out of that power and authority of the Spirit within you, living by the love, grace, and truth of Christ. It is not lost. It is not wasted. Because you see, our life in Christ, yours and mine, each one, is a little slice of heaven. It's a little slice of heaven, the forging of God's kingdom, one person at a time. I mean, come on, good news like that? Good news like that, that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's project not to snatch people away from the earth to heaven, but to inhabit earth with the life of heaven, good news like that, the invitation into that kind of life, oh man, that demands to be shared. How can we not speak of it? In a world filled with fake news, in a world filled with abandoned promises, in a world filled with shallow entertainments, people are hungry. Do you see it? Do you notice it? People are hungry for good news that means something. Surrounded almost daily by the reality of devastation due to either natural causes, earthquakes, uncontrollable fires, tsunamis, hurricanes, or human causes, acts of violence, war, and corruption, people long to hear God hasn't given up on his creation. People need to be introduced to Jesus not to four easy steps to get to heaven. People need to be introduced to Jesus, to the one who gave his life for all creation, to the one who continues through the Spirit to be at work healing this world and healing us. People are looking. They're looking for a vision of the future that can be realized in the present. And my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the greatest story of all to share. We have the greatest story of all to share. Will we share it? Will we share not the gospel the way we want it, but the gospel the way Jesus tells it? 
Because sharing the good news of Jesus isn't about saving souls for heaven as much as it is about revealing the full scope of God's grand plan for the flourishing of all creation and the thriving of all humanity. Sharing the good news isn't about giving people steps to be saved. It's inviting and calling others to embrace and be a part of the salvation that is already theirs in Christ. And then calling them with us to be a part of extending this good news to those who do not know, who have not heard, who cannot see. God has given us more than just a glimpse into our future people. In Christ, God has brought that certain future into our actual present. And it is this living vision of redemption, reconciliation and restoration rising on the horizon that fuels are believing, are praying, are serving, are acting it out, even when the lights appear to be going out, even when the darkness, the violence, and the hatred in this world look to be all-consuming. Here's the thing, and there's no way around it. The gospel we share is the gospel we're actually living. Hear that, people. The gospel you share is the gospel you're actually living. The question is, is the gospel you're living the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we living out of the good news as Jesus tells it? Are we living in the kingdom of God? People longing for heaven, and I know we are all longing for heaven, don't wait to get there. They don't wait to go there. People longing for heaven seek to plant and build from the seeds of heaven on earth that Jesus has already sown. Where is the fruit in your life? What is the fruit of your life? Our Father's world is broken, but fundamentally our Father's world is good. Kingdom people enter into that goodness by making this world all it can be through generosity and kindness. Kingdom people recognize joy, pleasure, and the enjoyment of life are things, all things God wants for us. But they are the byproducts of surrender, of sacrifice, of work, and a whole lot of dying to self. People seeking to live in the kingdom of God forgive now. Church, hear me, forgive now. They forgive as they have been forgiven as they have already been reconciled in Christ, they work for reconciliation. Paul, I believe, calls us ambassadors of reconciliation. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, because there are just too many professed followers of Jesus out there who aren't getting this. For a follower of Jesus, a world without racism, a world without sexism, or any other degrading or abusive form of prejudice and discrimination is not a dream for an unknown tomorrow. For a follower of Jesus, such a world is a reality that can be lived in today. Today. People working out of the kingdom of God make things right now. Calls for justice, acts for mercy, unconditional love is an ideal. People, to a person of the gospel, these are not merely prayer requests. Outcomes to imagine and hopefully will be realized someday. For those in whom Christ dwells, justice, mercy, and unconditional love, the possibility and imagination already exists to occupy and exercise those postures in the present moments before us. We have been given the power and the authority 
to do so. We have been crucified in Christ and it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for ours. Whose life are you living? Are you living your life? Or are you living Christ's life being unleashed in you? Jesus had a lot of things to say. (laughs) But as you begin to see this morning, as I hope we've begun to see, there are a lot of things he didn't. A lot of things he didn't. Jesus did not bring a message of escapism from this world, of going to heaven. Jesus offered a message of hope and assurance for our future, but his message was grounded in an invitation to embrace, through him, God's kingdom come in the present. The transformation and fullness of life now, the beginning of the renewal of all things today. So then, let us commit to no longer being a people of evacuation, looking to make our escape, banking on some idea of a heavenly reservation. No. May we instead, in response to what Jesus actually said and through whom we are in Christ, become a people of investment, seeking to multiply the treasures of the kingdom Jesus inaugurated. Through the power and authority of the Spirit of Christ, let us pray, let us pray, but let us also work to foster the things of heaven here on earth. Amen.